You are listening to Pastor Ben Echol of Calvary Chapel, Keweenaw Peninsula, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Tune in each week as Pastor Ben teaches through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Or watch us live on Sunday mornings at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our Facebook page. You can access our library of teachings at www.ccqanon.com. In 2 Kings 12, we're just going over 21 short verses here. Um, we read about Jehoash or uh, Joash or whatever. Your translations may all have something different. Anyways, he's the seven-year-old king, okay? And we know last week he was tucked away in the temple. He was kept away from uh, the, uh, the evilness that was out to get him. And so he survived. He gets anointed. He, uh, he's the last of David's descendants, right? Satan was that close to wiping out the promises of God that it was down to one heir, okay? So... We're going to read about this kid. He's really one of nine of Israel's good kings. Like most of Israel's kings weren't good. Okay. That's just the government of man, right? I mean, look at our, you ever study our presidents? It's, (laughs) it wasn't all that illustrious. You know, it's, you know, every election since 1776 has always been the lesser of the two evils. If you think about an election, you know, and even Washington didn't even want to be, they wanted to make him king, and he didn't want to be king. Um, he knew what was coming, but, so we got this, this kid, and uh, he's going to do some good for the nation of Israel. He's going to restore the temple. It's an important thing, but we're going to see his failings. And, and one thing you need to take away from Scripture is the Scriptures will record the failings of the godly and the righteous. Not to shame them, but for our learning, because you can make your own mistakes or you can learn from the mistakes of others. And so it's important for us to look at these various characters and go, hey, am I in this narrative? Right? Because we all need correction. We all need to readjust our thinking. And so in this, let's jump in. It says, in the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king and he was reigned Excuse me, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Okay. Know what this is saying? When Jehoiada died, he stopped being pleasing to the Lord's sight. Okay. What was his issue? Why did all of a sudden his mentor go off the scene, and then he changed his mind. Well, we're going to cover that. Jehoiada, this guy was an incredible mentor. If you think about Jehoiada, he lasted, he lived 130 years. Okay? He saw the ministry of Elisha and Elijah, and he saw the the terror of Ahab. He lived through all that. You know, imagine... Imagine talking to somebody who grew up and fought in World War I, World War II, Korea, saw the 60s. Like, you, you ever get a chance to marry? You probably have met some of those old guys as we grew up. Some of those guys were around. And just talk to them about what they experienced, you know. And, 
and you get to learn and glean. But what happened was, is Jehoash fell into what we call legalism. Okay, what's the difference between legalism and obedience? Motive. Okay. We're called to be obedient. There are clear instructions in the scripture that you and I are to obey. But then there's legalism when you create rules for yourself. Okay. Like I don't diet on any day that ends in Y. (laughs) The Lord's looking for relationship and not rules because love constrains the believer. You should obey because your motive is this is pleasing to God. You should forsake sin in your life because it's displeasing to God. So you uh, rules will only produce what? Loopholes, right? Jehoash didn't have his own set of convictions, right? He never owned his walk. He was only giving eye service to his mentor, right? It happens all the time. You know, it's like, how do people act when they leave church? Oh, since the pastor's not watching, I'm going to go drinking. Or since the pastor's not watching, I'm going to have this little little side affair here. Or, or you know, since no, nobody looks at my tax returns, I can lie on my taxes. You know, what, what does God call lying on your taxes? Lying. He knows. You know, when you, when you conduct your life in a manner in which God is examining you constantly, it tends to clean you up, doesn't it? But if you don't think God's watching and that you're only serving the appearance, and if you're only serving people, you're going you're gonna to hide your cigarette behind your back. I, grew, I went to that church as a kid. All my friends' parents who smoked, you go out in the parking lot after church, and they're all like, Hi, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, my mom smokes too. She just doesn't hide it, you know, whatever. I mean, it's not like, you know, being a Catholic, you can't smoke, you know. It won't send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like it. You know, as a king, he was to write out the entire book of Deuteronomy. It's a heavy book. You ever read that and go, ooh, strong book. He wrote it out. I'm sure he did as his requirement, but he never matured into it. We're going to see he doesn't finish well. We're going to read that other voices will replace Jehidah's. He was what we call a thermometer when he should have been a thermostat. Do you understand the comparison there? What does a thermometer do? It reflects the temperature of the room. Versus a thermostat does what? Regulates and controls, right? See, you and I, Christian, we're thermometers uh, when, when we're not walking with the Lord. We can acquiesce to the group. We can, we can go no further than the people around us. But when you're tr- truly obeying the Lord, you are there to be a thermostat. You are there to make people adjust to you, right? Be an inconvenient truth to them, right? First Timothy, if you're taking notes, chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. You guys know this. This is a letter written to a young pastor by, by Paul, Timothy here. And, and I don't believe it's instruction to just those who are in ministry, um, because I believe all of us are in ministry to some degree, and I think the exhortation is true to all of us. We're all called to study and know the Word of God. We're all called to live under the authority of the Bible, not just those who are in leadership. Timothy here in verse 12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but in, be an example to the believers 
in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and in purity. Uh, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. Underline that. That your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Okay? We need to be an example, first and foremost, right? Our audience to preach to is, is us first, individually. But it's important to know what the Bible says, because it says here it'll save your life, and then it'll save the lives of those around you, right? That's important. We can't go around just pointing out the flaws in the lost and dying world. Granted, we need to share and warn and all that, but obedience is what? The safety net for the Christian. But it's hard. Well, so is the consequence of sin, right? When you do things your own way, it brings consequence, right? The Bible warns us, do not be wise in your own eyes. You can create this whole cut and paste theology of what you think is right, and you can use scripture to do so, but you don't need to because the teachings of Jesus are simple, right? He says, they're not hard. He says, if you love me, you will do these, right? If you're motivated by love, you're going to want to do what the word of God says. You don't have to live like you did prior to Christ. God's way is always best. He's in a high position. He is the king of Israel. He has a country to rule. Okay? So if he's disobedient, it's going to affect other people. People watch his example. Jesus himself even said, the pupil will never be better than the, the teacher. You know, my pastor always taught me, he says, if you want people to run 100 miles or 10 miles an hour, you yourself run 100 I've got to push myself for the sake of the other people, right? We need to, to keep ourselves to a high standard. But we really, it ultimately comes down to how much of the Lord do you want to, to love? How much do you want to know of him, right? A good, a good relationship has mystery. There's hide and seek. There's, there's things you're fascinated by. And you want to dig in deep. But do you know the doctrines of the Bible? Do you know the teachings of the Bible? Could you explain what baptism is? Can you explain what justification is? Can you explain end times to yourself and other people? It's not there for filler, right? There's a lot of hard stuff in the Bible, and you, you, will, you will get through that. But start with the simple stuff. Find a, a red-letter Bible, right? In the New Testament, you can find the words of Jesus in red. And it's easy, because there's only 900 and some odd commandments there to obey. Only, right? <laughs> versus the law of Moses was what, 600 and some odd laws? Like Jesus has a tall drink of water for us. But I just recall as I got saved, the Holy Spirit put a will to and a want to in my life. I'm like, I get to do this, right? I get to stop doing that, but I can do this. I don't have to be the knucklehead I used to be. Correct. But he never grew up. He never had conviction. You know, what was important in my early days in my walk is, no one scripted me, right? You don't have to script people, right? You, you show them and point them to the word of God, but there's some gray area. There's room for personal conviction. And so I came to the church and I was a mess. I came in a bucket, right? 
It was marked 80 proof. Like, I stunk like a brewery, and amongst other things. And nobody criticized or nobody, nobody said anything other than keep coming to church, go to midweek, read your Bible. And I found all these besetting sins in my life just fell away. And so they gave me a lot of room to grow. They understood what kind of mess they were dealing with. But the people that were there have been through it with me. And they're like, hey, just let them be. Okay. And so there was so much room for me to grow. And I had opportunity. And then after about six months, that's when my pastor said, you want to start teaching? And I'm like, me? Yeah, you. And then once I started teaching, the fellowship warmed up to me like, man, this guy's in ministry. He's serving. He's doing stuff. We can trust him. You know, we're watching him grow. You know, some of you guys will meet some of the pastors I know. Some of like Pastor Seth from Fargo. Uh, he met me at church. They put me on church plant team to keep me alive. You know, I just, I told my senior, or my assistant pastor, I said, look, I'm struggling, man. Put me to work. He says, we kind of give guys about six months before we put them in ministry. I said, you don't have that with me. I said, I'm, I'm dying. So, he says, pack up your bag and meet us on Saturday. I said, where are we going? He says, does it matter? Get in the car. Took me to the church plant up in Fargo. And uh, I was still dealing with the Lord sanctifying my mouth. And I'm shaking because the Lord has been dealing with other chemical addiction issues. And it, I used to call Michelle, you know, just be like, I'm dying. I, can't, I haven't sworn in four days. And, ah! and she's laughing at me. And, you know, and so those... If you get to talk to Seth, he's kind of like the big brother who watched me grow, you know. And unfortunately, we, him and I both have outlasted a lot of our contemporaries in some respect. Not to brag, but like we just held the course. And it's just fun like how him and I have grown together. And he was there from day one. So he can look back at the sloppy early days when I joined the team, you know. And uh, he was always so gracious with me. But people need to come to their own conclusion. They have to own their own walk. You can't simply just parrot the pastor. You simply just can't pick up the group think. You simply can't get the t-shirt and the bumper sticker because it's not going to do you any good, right? That's where backsliding actually begins is when you, you set your tune to the group rather than the scriptures. Because also I found myself getting married real quick into my walk. And my pastor said, find other godly marriages in the church to follow. I came back. I'm like, where are they? He's like, right. He says, there's Christian marriages that are falling apart. Do you want to be like them? And we found, we had some couples, right? The man who discipled me, you know, he's on our board still. You know, he had a great marriage and I wanted to be like him. You know, so I, I, I applied myself and I followed the example of others. And, and so... Uh, I started to just read and study myself. I invested into my faith walk. We had a lending library of tapes at the time. Remember us? Remember tapes? Just That was the number one reason you bought batteries is because your Walkman would just devour these things. And if you put the bass boost on, you had to buy more batteries. <laughs> and then we had CDs, right? Some of, you, some of you kids out there, you know what a compact disc is? You know, Madeline, what a compact disc is? Yeah, okay. Your parents probably have boxes of those antiques, right? Uh, and then the interwebs was invented, and you're like, you could just get all sorts of great teachings. And so I, I was fascinated by how much solid teaching existed out there, how many books existed out there. So I, I snuck into my pastor's office, and he had a lending library, and I just started bringing all that material home. And I'm like, oh, I found where all your jokes come from. I figured you out, bro. I don't need you anymore. 
Like, I need you as my pastor. But the source of knowledge now was I got rid of the middleman. And because I was broke, I would just, when I was single, I'd just sit in my, my, my rack at home. I lived with two other guys, two Marines. Oh, boy. Well, you met one of them, you know, Jonathan. But <laughs> that was kind of messy, you know. And uh, uh, lots of broken windows in the parking lot. It was, it was strange. But <laughs> I would just sit in my room, and I'd just listen to tapes, and I would just read books. And it was just so refreshing, so clean. You know, I'm like, man, I get to do this. I want to do this. And so I I started to make my walk my own. Nobody had to babysit me. Now, you got to let the word of God just soak in. You just got to sit under it. You got to let the Holy Spirit write your script. You know, you you read the stories of, let's say, Zacchaeus. Like I mentioned earlier, no one needs to write the script for you. You know, when Zacchaeus met Jesus... He confessed. He says, I've been ripping people off. I'm going to pay them back plus seven times. Jesus never said, well, if you're going to follow me, here's a, here's a list of ordinances you need to adhere to. Here's the rules, right? Don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, right? We've been to those churches. The Holy Spirit talked to Zacchaeus and said, hey, you need to deal with this, bro, right? And you're going to find that. Like, like, the Holy Spirit will just impress on your heart. There's things that need to change. Now, pastors and teachers are needed, but our job really begins and ends with pointing people to what the Word says. We're, we're that optional stop sign at the intersection there, right? You know all stop signs are optional? They don't physically make you stop, do they? It's just a really strong suggestion. You need to stop your vehicle. And if you've used that intersection, even when you try to stop, it's still optional because it's concrete. <laughs> and it gets icy. Well, and you and I, we should always point people to Scripture. What does the Scripture say? I'd always go to my pastor and ask him questions. He says, well, tell me what the Bible says. I'm like, I'm lazy. I want you to tell me what it says. He never answered questions for me. You know, there is only one mediator between God and man. And that's the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's a teacher. You know, you're going to find if you just sit down and be patient and pray as you read, the Lord will answer your questions. You know, you're going to read your Bible and you're going to have a lot of, huh? Huh? And write those down. Use that blank side column or those blank pages in the front and the beginning and the end of the Bible and write down questions and put a date. What does this mean? And then as you're listening to sermons and you're reading books, godly books, godly sermons, write down the date when God answers the question. Have you ever had that moment where you're just thinking about some teaching in the Bible, some kind of huh, some kind of mystery, and then all of a sudden it's on the radio or it's on your podcast or it's in the book you're reading. You're like, oh, great, there's the answer to that question. You know, I miss those days, you know, those early days where everything was new. You know, I got to keep digging for more and more fascinating stuff and stick to the basics, but you know, there's, you'll never get to the end of God's word. That's the beauty of it. You never read it and be like, oh, all right, next. I'll switch to the Apocrypha. I'm like, no, I got a lot on my plate here. Now as mentors, we need to let our protege dig and find out things for themselves, right? Acts 17, 11, the Bereans were of more noble character because they went and saw what Paul taught was taught in the scriptures. They, they fact-checked him. 
right? And the only factual thing right now on this planet is that book in your lap, right? Isn't it true? Like, you know, if you're like me and you like to waste time, you get caught in the dark part of the internet of all sorts of self-help and advice. And it's so contradictory. Did you know scientists said eggs will kill you? Did you know scientists say by eating 4,000 eggs a day, it'll save your life? You know, and we exalt all these wisdom and teachings of men, and it's always contradictory, isn't it? Like, if you do this, you're no good. If you do this, you're no good. If you do this, you're good. You know, if you do 4,000 push-ups a day, you know, you're like, but but scientists said push-ups will kill you. Can I just die fat and happy? Can Can I just die early? Just get out of here. Why would you want to keep living? Why do we want longer life? I mean, I'm a Christian. I want to go home. I want to be Jesus. But you need to look things up for yourself. What I teach or what any pastor teaches, go and verify yourself, right? Stump the sage. If you find that I'm out of pocket, my application is incorrect or my doctrine's incorrect, shit, let me know. But teach people how to feed themselves. I love Matthew at this stage. He's figured out his hands and his mouth. And even if it's not edible, it goes in the hole. Oh, it's disgusting. Uh, or like, it's, like, or it's like you watch the kid chewing on something. I didn't give you anything to eat. What's in your mouth? And you got a fish. Pass those little razors in the front row. Oh. So what we do is he has this rubber bib with a trough. He won't eat food on his uh, tray. We put it in the trough that's supposed to catch the food. And he just goes in with his fist. Like how I eat popcorn. He just reaches in and grabs like last night he had barbecue ribs. And he pulls it up and he's just like, just sucking. And so you're like, man, dog, calm down. He's just, he just smashes. Like I think his taste buds are now kicking in. You know, it's like same when you, when you start looking at the word of God, you're like, this is intimidating. I'm caught in the book of numbers. Skip it. Get caught in Genesis. Get caught in 1 Samuel. Get caught in the Proverbs. Something. Get caught in the book of John. Develop an appetite for the word, right? Get in there and be like, ooh, ooh, this hits good, right? This is meet me where I'm at. This is so refreshing. This is the straight info. And then you start getting a handle on it. You're like, man, I read the whole book of John today or this week or this month. And and I just found out Jesus loves me. There must be more. Then you go on to Matthew. Then you go on to Mark, right? Now i got some of the guys I'm training up to teach. And it's like, you know, God does not call the equipped. If you haven't figured that out with our group. We're all learning as we go. We're a training church. And the Lord's going to equip you guys called to teach as you teach. You know, the world has figured this out. There's a guy, there's a movie called Catch Me If You Can. You remember that with Leonardo DiCaprio? Where he was a hustler. He got a job as a college professor. And he, they said, how did you fake it? He says, I just read one chapter ahead of the students. I'm reading one chapter ahead of you guys. I mean, that's where I'm at. I've never taught this book before. I mean, I know the truths of the Bible, but I'm learning as I go, you know? And so as I deal with it and process it and give it to you guys, you know, I'm kind of pre-cutting your food for you. But the point is to make this stuff easy, for yourself and others. We simply teach the word of God simply, but it's the same thing. You go back to the reference of my child. I just put the pre-chewed up food into his trough. He reaches in, he develops that taste, and eventually he's going to be on to the good stuff. There is a point where, where you have to get off the milk 
and get on to the meat. Right? Paul exhorted the Hebrew Christians. He says, hey, some of you guys should be teaching by now. You should be leading. You should be X, Y, and Z. But you're not. You're still on baby food. Right? You know, you got to take the bottle of your mouth once you start shaving. Right? It's just some things aren't for mature believers. You have to go on. But the problem with doctrine is if you're not being taught it, you're not going to develop the appetite for it, and you're going to see no value in it, and you're going to chase sensationalism. You're going to just look for what tickles your ears and sounds fun rather than practical application. In 2 Chronicles 24, this gives us an alternative view of this narrative. In verse 15, it says, but Jehida grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Now after the death of Jehida, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. See, there was a void in in his life, right? Jehoiada's dead, and the king is going, where's my source of info? And it was the people and the leaders of Judah. Now they're tainted, right? They've had idolatry pitched at them for so long. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass, right? He stopped listening to God. Right? What's the saying? If you don't, if you don't uh, stand up for something, you're going to fall for anything. Right? So he, he was looking for another source of material. Man's wisdom crept in, and it brought about the displeasure of God. He could have kept going. He could have found another priest. He could have sought the Lord himself. So the Lord, verse 19, said, Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them. But they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehida, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says the Lord, Why do you trespass the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Underline that, Christian. Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? This is probably the reason you're broke. This is the reason there's no joy in your life. There's a reason there's depression and anxiety, worry and doubt is you're not being obedient. You're transgressing. You are actually not just omitting obedience, you're deliberately disobeying God. God's word was set against them. It's just because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. It's the same thing in the, the Bible. It says, it says if, uh, God resists the proud, but he what? He gives grace to the humble. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with the stones in the courthouse of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehida his father had done to him, but killed his son, and he died. He said, The Lord look on it and repay. So you can see Joash's heart was against God, right? The, often you'll find yself away from God. Who moved? We do. It starts with a journey. A journey of what? A thousand steps starts with one. 
Look at the points in your life where you've deliberately said, no, I'm not going to do things God's way. And then you go, you realize, you know, how, how far off does a compass need to be to get you off course? One degree. Verse 3. Now, there's a problem with the people. It says, but the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now, what are the high places? These are the secret sins. These are the sins only the internet browser knows about, right? These are the sins that you commit when no one's looking, right? You know, you can only be yourself when no one's watching. Ruh row. Some of you guys are like wiping the cookie crumbs off your face going, really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he got rid of the, the worship of Baal, but he didn't go far enough. Right? There's still some deep hidden stuff. You know, as we talk about our self-confrontation manual, this book puts the thumb on some of the core issues, right? Like, ooh. And anyone go through it who's in the class? Are they going in and going, ooh, ooh, yuck. Yeah, yeah, we got some bad habits. Well, there's a solution here. How do you defeat a passion in your life? with a greater passion, right? Some of you guys know, maybe you didn't like ice cream until you started eating camps. I'm a Minnesota boy, so I like camps, right? You don't eat the trash anymore. You eat the good stuff, right? You ever buy the $8 tub of ice cream and it's this big? You're like, oh, we're going to do that again. haagen right? It comes in one single serving. <laughs> so the idea here is Jehoash, He's going to rebuild the temple. That's the key. This is the point of contact where people are going to meet with God face to face. Verse 4. It says, And Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. So there was regular money coming into the temple, and he wanted this to go to a purpose here. And we see there was three sources, right? There was a census uh, where uh, a half shekel of each Israelite, older than 20, had to pay every year. There's this assessment money. This is literally... Each man, the money of his souls, of his estimating. This was a kind of property tax based on personal assessments of each individual. And then all the money that the man purposes in his heart, this is really a free will offering. This, this is where God's heart is. He wants people to give and give freely, without constraint, without, without compulsion. You know, you set, a, you set a minimum, you'll set a maximum kind of thing. God just says, hey, if you want to give, there's a way to just give. So all these sources were there to keep maintenance of the Lord's house, which fell into damage because it was vandalized, right? Think of what, what that church, or rather that building, looked like from years and years of Baal worship, right? Seven years of the queen. You know, what they would do, actually, is they, would, they didn't have Home Depot, or in my case, called Shalom Depot. They would go to the temple and start pilfering things out of the temple, Right? Well, if you go to like the Great Pyramids, you'll see evidence of that, where they've taken bricks to build other things. You'll go to Israel, and you'll see some things were build, built from old ancient structures just because it was laying around. 
And so they, they, they tore down parts of the temple. Everything was in disrepair. And so they had to put it back to ship shape here. But there was a problem. Since all these sources had ever been in some measure open, but instead of repairing the dilapidations of the Lord's house, the priests and the Levites had converted the income to their own use. King Joash, working through the priests, corrected the problem. There's a stewardship problem, right? This is why a lot of people don't give in church. All that preacher wants is money. This is my money. I'm not giving it to him to live his life. So, all right, we all see it, right? TV evangelists are great for propagating that view. And they're true. They're right. So he gets in there, uh, and he needs to correct this. But he sets his heart to repair these damages. What was really his motive? I think because we know he grew up in the temple. He saw the temple in its, in its splendor. Right? He, he saw it degrade. Right, This was his physical home. Remember, he was hidden there for seven years. So to him, it was important. You know, I, I, I tell our crew here, I said, we need to build a church that we want to go to. Right? Isn't that our standard? Because we, we always say, this needs that, this needs this. I'm like, well, what do you want in a church? You know? And that's, that's our standard. What do we want? How, how does our facility minister to us? And what can we add to our facility to minister to us and other people? Right? We don't want to minister to the facility itself. Right? You don't want to just keep pouring money into a building because that's, that's really not the point. But you, you do want to not let the building be a distraction. So this suffered vandalism. Jehoash set his heart. He also knew that a, a prosperous and secure kingdom mattered little if the things of God were neglected and despised. You can have all sorts of external reform. You can have all sorts of religious activity. But if the people's hearts are not right with God, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. I mean, you think of our church, you know, we don't use performance-oriented worship, right? We, we just teach the Bible. We keep things very kind of salt of the earth for a reason. You know why? Who gets the adoration and the attention? The Lord. Through his word. Churches, not to knock some, but some have great facilities and people will only attend those facilities because the facilities have good coffee and good seating, good child care. It's like they treat it like a theater. They're there to be taught a soft message. They're there to appease what the consumer wants, right? There's a consumer mentality. But we don't ever want to detract from the glory of God by having too much too many carved stones on our altar. If you read the story of Joshua, remember, he says, don't carve the stones. Make it real simple. Let the sacrifice be the center of attention, not the altar. So there's a reason we do things the way we do. It's a filter. Right? We just want people to be uh, in love with the word of God. He also knew that the condition of the temple was a valid measurement of the heart and passion of the people of God for the things of God. The temple wasn't God, but neglected and despised of the temple reflected neglect and despising of God. You know, ministry comes out of your home, right? Whatever 
faith walk you're experiencing, the abundance of that should pour into the corporate gathering. Okay? Some churches have it backwards. You know, it's never going to pour from here into your home. So whatever you've you got going on, however your house, it's going to reflect within the fellowship, good and bad. So the healthier each of the churches, right? Chuck Smith taught us this dumb little saying, healthy sheep reproduce healthy sheep. He also had another saying, shepherds don't reproduce sheep. Shepherds reproduce shepherds. You know, and so, again, the evidence that your church is healthy is the health of the people in the church. It doesn't need to be big. Sheep aren't counted. They're weighed, right? There should be some health. There should be some restoration to the people. Verse 6. Wow, I didn't get that far yet. <laughs> now it was so by the 23rd year of King Joash that the priests had not repaired the damages of the temple. So King Joash called Jehida the priest, and the priests said to them, why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now, therefore, do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for the repairing of the damages of the temple. And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. Then Jehida, the priest, took a chest, bored a hole in its lid, and set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priests who kept the door put all the money brought into the house of the Lord. So it was, whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, that the king's scribe and the high priest came up and put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they gave the money, which had been apportioned, into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and to masons and stonecutters and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord, for all that was paid out to repair the temple. However, there was not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, and any articles of gold or articles of silver for the money brought into the house from the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. So we see building projects take a long time, right? We're experiencing that, you know, it's, it, it just does. Renovating old buildings is almost more difficult and expensive than building new. Amen? You know, once we start pulling drywall, we're like, holy buckets. I mean, we found all sorts of crazy stuff over there. Woo! <laughs> so King Joash had to wait. The work was going too slow. It shows there was a negligent of the priests. There was a stewardship issue within the fellowship, right? They weren't allocating the time and the talent and the treasure properly. You know, think of yourself, right? When If someone came to you, what do you need? What's our universal answer? More money. Do you know God gives you everything you need? It's just you and I squander it, right? You ever write down every dollar you make and every cent you spend? You've invested in gum, Three for two dollar cookies at holiday, right? Never pay at the counter at holiday, right? Anyone know that tr that trick where you go in there and then they got the oh, Rice Krispie treats? If you buy one, it's thirty five dollars, and if you buy two, it's thirty six dollars. Bet, right? Impulse buying, right? You don't have a budget, you don't have a plan. You're going to end up spending money just frivolously, and, and, and realize that there's there's holes in our program. 
You don't need more money. You need to be a better steward of it. And the first stewardship should always be your money that you set aside for God because it's an act of submission. It's nothing to do with the church's broke. It's nothing to do with God's broke. God, God can make money appear, right? He's better than the U.S. government. He's got a better printer than they do. <laughs> you know, don't ever get the idea of any church you go to that, oh my gosh, we're hanging on by a shoestring. God's broke. That's not the issue. Uh, tithing is an act of submission. Because you got to tell yourself, it's not your money anyway. It's his, right? And he's, he wants your heart behind it, okay? He wants the free will. And that's the thing. We never, we never lay a trip on people here. we got a bottle. Look at that thing. I mean, look at that. It's ugly. I painted it. <laughs> it's written in cursive, so no one under 40 can read the lettering on it, you know? <laughs> it, but if people want to give, they find ways to give. You know, the, the Holy Spirit impresses that. We, we as a ministry want to lean in on the Holy Spirit to provide for us. And you and I as a church need to see God provide. Right? You need to see the miraculous. You need to see the daily provision come in through the ordinary means, but also through the extraordinary means. But even in your own life, is when you find yourself in financial turmoil, your prayer is not more money. You need, to take, you need to take assessment of where does your time, your talent, and treasure go to? Because Jesus tells us, don't worry about all these things, he says, but first seek the kingdom of God with your time, your talent, and treasure. Get back into what God has put you on this earth for. He didn't put you on this earth just to pay medical bills and fix your truck, right? He didn't put you on this earth just to like you know, eat spaghetti and ramen noodles, right? Remember the college diet, you know? Like, it's, I call it manna. Remember those seasons? You'd make ramen, green bean, hot dish, toaster, shake, and casserole, right? <laughs> Some Christians live like that perpetually because they're bad stewards. And so he understood there's a stewardship issue here. But part of it, he says, just put a box out so people can see the need. And feel the burden and contribute to it because they get eternal reward too. Not only was there poor administration, financial mismanagement. They just had dedicated money. We're going to just make this a priority. When the people were assured that the money would really be used for the purpose for which it was given, they responded generously. And so similar arrangements were continued by Josiah. What, what comforts our sheep, what comforts us, is when we have a plan. We have a flow chart. Right? Just like some of us are going through discipleship financially. Have a plan. Take the envelopes. Anyone here use the envelope method? It's the most solid way to run your house. Have dedicated outflowing of the money coming in. That way you're not in that moral dilemma. Should I buy the cookies or not? Should I buy the Xbox or not? No, you shouldn't. You, know, you have bills to pay. But people are comforted when they know the church has a plan, when God's people have a plan. And they want to come alongside that. People want to serve. People want to contribute. That's never the issue. It's just they need to know that there's, there's a way it's going to be meted out. And so there was money even left over for the provision of these sacred vessels and sanctuary service. And that's the thing. God is... God knows our need, right? And so he's, he's very faithful. Sometimes I pray short. I've been rebuked by God. He says, you didn't pray high enough. You should have asked and I would have given it, you know. And so I've learned to pray big. 
You know, God knows all of our needs. And so you'll find he's a debtor to no man, but he wants your heart behind your money more than he wants your money. He wants your heart and you got to trust. You got to trust that God has every need that you have covered, but it's up to you to be faithful. And sometimes he takes you through lean seasons to teach you how to be a better steward. Sometimes he gives you abundance, not for you, but to provide for others. But God knows your need. Jesus tells us, he says, for your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, when you make God important to you, when you make fellowship with God's people important to you, when you make church, when you make Bible study, when you, I, I've made my own, my own hobby, God's word. I buy a lot of books. It makes me look smart. I, I don't read a lot of books, right? I buy a lot of books. But that's where my, my treasure is. I'm buying these books, and I get the, you get the, oh, anyone like me, you get the old ones? Open them in. Oh, beautiful. Or you get the new one. You're like, new book smell. This is Bible nerd me. But since I've spent the money, now I'm inclined to get into them. Right? When I've invested into the church and into God's people, they become important to me. Right? That's the same thing with us. Right? If it doesn't cost you anything, Christian, it's worth nothing to you. If, 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 if your walk with God has no financial bearing on you whatsoever, be it providing for a missionary, providing for your church, providing this, that for the people around you, then it's not going to ever be worth it. And it's easy to leave. It's easy to find somewhere else to go. And then you'll plug in for six months there, and then you'll find a reason there, and then you'll just keep wandering like a lost sheep. But, verse 14. But they gave to the workmen, and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. Moreover, they did not require an account from the men into which, excuse me, whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. Man, isn't that the truth? Finding a reputable contractor? You know, we hire who we hire because we can trust them, right? They're still not cheap, but I, I can just, I can tell Doug, like, hey, whatever we need to do, I trust you. Because... He's, he's accountable. He's accountable to our board. He's accountable to his church. He knows, and he's also a God-fearing man. But he also slaps me upside the head, and he says, stupid, spend the money. We need to fix this. You know, water damage can undo a whole lot of drywall real fast, right? There's no point doing drywall if water's leaking. Anyone know that mistake? Oh, man. The money from the trespass offering and the money from the sin offering was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. So God, again, he took care of the guys. He provided for the staff. They didn't need to hustle and manipulate. They just had to trust the provision. The project succeeded, and it didn't dig into the priest's livelihood. Verse 17. Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Then Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem and Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his father, Jehoshaphat, and Jehoram, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord, and in the king's house, and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria. Then they went away from Jerusalem. So at this time, the kingdom of Syria attacked Judah with an inferior army, but God used them 
as an instrument of judgment against the disobedient Joash. King Joash was wounded in the battle outside of Jerusalem. Second Chronicles 24 tells us of that, where it says, uh, It happened in the spring of that year that the army of Syria came against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers, so they executed judgment against Joash. Now his response was inappropriate as well. It says, And Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria. Instead of trusting God, Jehoash traded prior blessings, the sacred treasuries of the temple, to protect his capital and kingdom against the attacking Syrians. He didn't say he prayed. He doesn't say he called out to God. It's the same thing you and I, right? We run into problems, and what's the first thing we do? Stop tithing. I got to fix the car. I got to fix the hot water tank. I find when I do that, the, the, the hole gets bigger. You know, God will get his 10% out of me one way or another. You know, those are horrible lessons to learn. You know, and sometimes God kicks somebody in the wallet to wake them up a little. You know, he could have cried out to God. It was an inferior army. God could have dealt with this. But instead, this guy went broke trying to fix a problem that God had ordained into his life to wake him up. You see, we understood he was listening to the wrong people. His heart was already turned away in the, in the small things. So when the big problem came up, what happened? He robbed what was God's, right? Think, think of our lives. When we go under the pressure, when we go under the gun, we stop going to church. We take the second and third and fourth shifts. We work to death. We stop giving. We stop participating in the plan of God. And then you just dig a bigger hole. It, you, there's never a catch up. And this is pathological. You read the book of Haggai, right? Where, where God had to, to, to curse Israel. He says, you should be working on the house of God, but you're at home wood paneling your house. You're living in luxury at the neglect of God's house. So I'm going to send you cisterns. I'm going to send you cisterns with cracks. I'm going to send you purses with holes in them. For every dollar going in, four will go out. You ever find sometimes you can't catch up financially? It's because God's behind it. He's trying to wake you up going, your life is out of order and I will not bless disobedience. I will ne never let you find prosperity or success outside of me because that's not what your heart's craving. What you need is to trust God more. Okay? So he goes broke trying to fix his own problem against a small attack. He took the dedicated things to God. You know, what did, what did Jesus say? He was confronted by the Pharisees. Should we pay tax or not, Jesus? He says, give me a denarius. He says, what's on it? He says, ha, ha. No, I got you twice. No, he says, what's on it? Caesar. He says, give to Caesar what's Caesar, but give to God what is God's. Whose image and likeness are you created in? Right? UPS? No. <laughs> no, it's, you're created in the image of God. You're here for his purposes. I saw a video yesterday. I was on the deep internet, as always, wasting time in the name of Jesus. A video of a man who got struck with cancer. And, and, and so one of his 
daily habits, he'd go walking, and there was an abandoned, dilapidated church in his neighborhood. He would just, him and his dog would go and sit, and just sit on the front steps and think. And then he came down with cancer. He went and sat on the steps. And the Lord was like, okay, you got, he's crying out to God. He said, I got cancer. And the Lord says, look at this building. He says, what are you going to do about it? So this guy, in the midst of his cancer treatments, and his, and his chemotherapy and his radiation, which just wipes you out, he took it upon himself to oversee this building project to restore this church. And the lesson behind that was he was figuring out God was giving him purpose, meaning, and direction in his life again. He was, God was restoring him as he was restoring the interests of God, building this building so people can meet with God, right? I was touched by that. Usually those, those little things are kind of corny. I think they're contrived, but this one made a lot of sense. Like, where have I found my greatest restoration as a believer? By being others-oriented, by the outpouring of what the Holy Spirit's doing in me. I'm just pouring into others. And I found there was real fulfillment and joy by being about my father's business, Rather than building my empire and kingdom. That's God's business. He, he provides for me. You know, I, I plunged our church into a huge loan because I realized that we needed a children's ministry. Because guess what? Children need to be ministered to. You know who they're being ministered to by now? Their phones, their friends, the pornography industry, the tobacco industry, the alcohol industry. Everything out there is designed to kill our kids. And if the church took... That kind of diligence to pour into their children, what would the world look like? You just can't assume they're going to find God on their own. We need to be diligently teaching kids. And so the Lord's like, I will bless the church as a strong children's ministry. So that's why we bought what we bought, because we knew kids needed to be blessed. Right now, they're being blessed right now. Yeah. Verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of Milo, which goes down to Silla. For Josachar, the son of Shimeth, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants, struck him. So he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Man, who killed him? His own people. You know, I see this. I had a conversation with a brother yesterday. I find, you know, four to 5,000 pastors a month quit in America. You know why? Because they're tired of fighting with their flock. And it's not the flock's problem. It's these pastors have neglected the overall instruction of God's word. They have forgotten to toe the line. They have forgotten to stand up for righteousness in their own home. And they've allowed allowances. They've allowed the high places. They've, they've given land for peace. And it's created a church of complainers and whiners and sassy people that eventually it got so unmanageable, what do they do? They quit. Right? They got taken out by their own people because they were not being diligent back to, are they laboring in the word? Are they laboring in prayer? Are they doing what God's called them to do? They become managers. right? And when you start giving people what they want, right? when the people are not satisfied, they'll always find something else. I, I, I learned this with children. Oh. 
I'm the softy. You guys know that I'm the softy. I'm a tough guy here at home. My daughter, the minute we're done with dinner, oh, I'm full, Daddy. Oh, I'm full. Then she sneaks in. Can I have a lollipop? Can I have a sucker? Can I have some gum? I'm like, you just said you're full. But I want a treat. And then I give her one. And she comes back for what? A second. <laughs> now, grandparents, you bank on that, right? You you have the bribe for them. You you that's okay. You're, that's what you're designed to do to spoil your kids. Kids, get them back, right? Here's a puppy and a six pack of monster. See you later. <laughs> you know the people that we're called to minister to can be dissatisfied by our disobedience, right? We got to use we got to validate by by how our people are reacting to us. We got to make some adjustments, but. The beauty is, I like how just the model we use is like the word of God is there to correct us. So we come up, we, we just discharge the word of God and it meets everyone where they're at. Keeps the blood off my hands. I don't have to sit and come up with a new topical message each, each week. And I don't have to create a body of, of golf clappers. Right? You guys are probably going, this is getting too long. Stop now. Moses. God, they're complaining. God said, what? Let's kill them all and start over, you and me. We'll get our own church of just you and I. Remember that God said that? He says, we'll kill them all. And Moses is like, time out. That's not what I meant. He's saying, God, do a work. And that's what God's like, exactly. Watch what I'm going to do with them. You know? He's murdered by his servants here. But disobedience brings its own bitter reward. He just simply reaped what he sowed. Obedience is the safety net to the believer. In a way, Joash deserved his inglorious and terrible end, didn't he? This ended a reign full of promise and hope in the beginning, but ended up cruel and ruinous in the end. Never was the hand of God's justice more signally stretched out against an apostate king and faithless people than at this time. <clears throat> 